Hi guys, welcome to 20 Questions Wins. This is a podcast launched by UPR Agency. UPR Agency is a Benelux PR agency celebrating its 20th anniversary this month. My name is Niels Oostenbrink and I'm Client Director at UPR. I've been working here for nine and a half years and today we got some very exciting topics to discuss. We will talk about celebrities, we will talk about fashion, and we will talk about OnlyFans. OnlyFans? Yes, OnlyFans. I'm super excited to announce our guest. We've met each other nine and a half years ago. Um, I just started working for UPR actually and had the pleasure to work for a Spanish uh, footwear brand called Camper. And crazy to imagine these days of pandemic, but at the time we were able to travel twice a year to Spain, to Mallorca, to the beautiful island for international PR meetings. And that's the moment where I met this lady. At the time, our guest of today was communication and production training manager at Camper, and my friend and PR partner in crime, all the way from the States, New York, Evika. Welcome, Eve. Oh, hi guys. It's such a pleasure to be here. Niels, I can't believe it. Is our friendship already nine and a half years? It is, it is. We're getting so old. I just started. I was a newbie in fashion. <laughs> Look at us now. Oh, I remember. I will never forget the moment when I saw you sitting at the lunchroom at Camper and I said to myself, who is that beautiful boy? And then I picked up soon enough that you weren't really interested in girls. So, <laughs> side note. Very nice to see you here. Today, as you know, um, UPR already exists for 20 years. So it's two decades of UPR in the Benelux, an agency we've both been working with, with and for. You worked there for, I think, 15 years ago. Yep. And well, as I just mentioned, I worked there for quite a bit now as well. So today we want to dive deep into what's going to happen and what happened in the past 20 years. So 20 is kind of the magic number. Yeah, let's start with everything. I am ready. So, Eve, we know your career started at UPR. You moved to Spain for the shoe, for, for Camper it was. Mm -hmm. You then moved later to New York. And after that, you went back to work actually for an agency in New York. So you went from agency to brand back to uh, an agency. Yeah. And you moved to the USA. So this brings actually to our topic. And the topic for today will be about the differences in PR when it comes to Europe versus the United States of America. The first question I actually want to ask you, you had some changes in your career, as I just mentioned, from agency to brand, abroad and back to agency. What was the time you knew you were doing exactly what you were meant to do? It was really when I was at the agency. I've been interviewed quite a few times now and people are always like, oh my God, it's so amazing that you are in New York. But what I keep on saying is like my first job that I did in Belgium at Unlimited PR was really one of the jobs that so far I loved the most. I was so young back in the days and I look back at it and I got to work right away with the most amazing brands. Uh, I'm talking about a Levi's, a Converse, there were brands like a Hugo Boss, there were spirit brands like an Absolute Vodka and that was pretty amazing being a 24 year old. I guess that at a certain point love came on my way which kind of love and, and the career paths crossed together and then I moved to, uh, to Camper and as much as I loved working for a brand like Camper, it, it's just so different being in-house because you're communicating constantly with the same people. You're kind of missing a little bit that challenge of working and overseeing like 10, 12, 14 different clients at the same time, like tapping into different editors at the same time. So it, it was an interesting time for me because I also obviously learned a lot being in-house. And I love the fact that for the first time, I was also working at a big company. 
So you're not like, you know, like when you work at a small company, like your immediate surroundings, like they have to be your friends. But in a big company, you actually can go and look for your friends. They can be in marketing, they can be in production, they can be in the finance department. But then, yeah, going to New York, I was still in-house. And very soon I noticed like, ooh, I can actually do, do more here. So I had the pleasure of a factory PR coming along my way where I am now for about five and a half years vice president of my own division, which is special projects, which we can talk about as well. Yeah. And it's just fascinating to look back on both parts of my career. Definitely not fed up with the agency part, although you and I both know like how stressful that can be. There's no day that's the same. And, and we keep on saying it. It, it. It's one of the most stressful jobs in the world because people spend their money on marketing or getting the word out. And it's not always guaranteed that you are going to get those placements. But then when you do, it, it's the biggest fulfillment. I get you. I get you. And can you maybe explain a bit more what your actually job is now with the special project part? So the thing is, who would ever guess that I would not be doing fashion? Like fashion was exactly. all I knew. <laughs> fashion was all I knew and all I had been doing for so long. Uh, so I'm still like a little bit surprised that I ended up where I am today but yeah I'm, I'm the head of my own division which is special projects which means a mixture of all things lifestyle in a very broad sense of the word but more it goes into design there's hotels there is a client like only fans for example a lot of biotech that i'm doing as well so something that was completely new to me and which is only getting more and more relevant because of all things COVID, naturally. Mm -hmm. So everything that can't fit under a specific, you know, like, oh, let, let's say that all of this is design, but there are like not enough clients to really form its own design division. That, that's actually a special project. So tapping into so lifestyle. Everything in between. Yeah, yeah. so tapping, tapping lifestyle editors, but at the same time, um, also editors that report on healthcare, business reporters, all of that so it has no longer anything to do with fashion interesting and then like 15 years ago or 20 years ago did you imagine you to be where you are at now maybe I guess not because it's not fashion but also the place where you are you know what I was really really happy in Antwerp and I was really happy at Factory uh, at, at Unlimited PR and I really felt like this, this is where I'm gonna spend the rest of my days I never expected myself to go anywhere else but I guess if it wasn't for love, I really think I would be celebrating the 20th anniversary with you guys <laughs> now in the Benelux. But I'm happy that I experimented it. And as frightening as it was a little bit in the beginning, like starting to tap more and more into this tech client that I wasn't familiar with at all. Now I see it as a fulfillment that I was able to do that. And I was able to build a network with such a broad range of new editors. I can imagine because it goes from different countries, different kind of press, different kind mm -hmm. of fields. Yep. Was there like one special moment in your career that you really learned a lot from? Like one key moment that you say, okay, that moment, it changed my way of thinking in my career or the way I manage my company or the way you maybe reached out to press or... It's not a specific like one moment, but it's definitely from Factory PR, I learned a lot because I think like before I would just like send press releases as soon as the news was ready to announce. And like now we work much more on forehand. So really like that under embargo pitching and that you can present exclusives to people and all of that, something that I didn't do before. Another thing that might run a little bit in our Belgian culture is in Belgium, 
or at least, I mean, like I'm also speaking about like 15 years ago, so I can only imagine that things have changed by now as well. But I remember <laughs> back in the days when I had news to announce, I would, I would pitch an editor and then I would wait for a couple of days and then just do a follow-up. And if I would not hear back from the editor, I would just assume like, okay, like this journalist is not interested in the story. Whereas now I will email up to five times to the same editor chasing 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 with different language like i know you're busy i know this and that i said like i've just seen that you've written about this which is so closely and intrinsically linked to what we are doing that you should take a look at this and you would be surprised like on the four time people still turn around or i receive a no but at least i'm like okay dude you've read my email you know so and they don't block you about two percent will block me, but I'm like, I'm I'm willing to take <laughs> I'm willing to take that risk of two percent blocking me if I can get a response rate of about forty percent. In Holland, I mean, because our market is so small, and I think the same for Belgium. Um, ah, that's for a us. That's like yeah. something that we would could never do. If I would reach mm. out to a journalist five times for for one press release they will be on the phone they will like did something's wrong with you really yeah, <laughs> yeah well you yeah. see that was the biggest difference for me as well so i'm really like miss stalker and that's also something that i've implemented with my team we would never do like a cold outreach or someone you know like how you can merge from a list and like follow up and follow up follow up but if you really convinced that this editor is so right for the story we won't yeah. back down like we keep on chasing him until we get an answer i think that's great like if i think of the next question like the main topic where we why we are here today is to, that we want to kind of see the differences that are there between the usa and Europe when it comes to PR and maybe also influencer marketing. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a great example that you just mentioned that like where in, in at least in Holland or Benelux, we cannot do that. No. Are there any other big like main differences maybe that you see between PR in the USA and in Europe or Belgium or Spain? Or Spain, I, I want to say that there are differences, but I just also think that overall the landscape has changed. I must say that 15 years ago, everything was much easier for me. I thought that if we had like a great collaboration with Converse and then with Bonos Red Foundation, I just had to write an editor and then they would cover it. And I think like now you have to hustle so much more, which is not only the case in US, I believe, but also in, in, in Belgium and the Netherlands and in Spain, like people getting so much more specific about what they want to cover there's a lot of like noise in the space and it's just getting very difficult to cover. The other difference is obviously our, our market is so much bigger. There, First of all, there's so many brands. There's there's so much competition. Like you would be surprised of how many people actually pay for PR services. But then also yeah. journalist wise, they're only at Forbes. There are about 2000 different editors. So the days when you were like super friendly with a, with a few specific editors, you could take them out for lunch, uh, that you were really close with them. I do have a few specific close contacts, but they get approached by so many people. So sometimes like the personal approach is a little bit hard to find here in the US. Wow. 2,000 people for one title. I think that's the whole media landscape. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Forbes, it's crazy. Wow. I mean, across there, there are news, politics, you know, healthcare, arts, automobility. It's crazy. The size, of course, is very different. But does it also, is it different maybe when it comes to influencer marketing, I can imagine? Because in Holland, I mean, we can still do lots of seedings, actually. I mean, we work with the big influencers, millions of followers. And of course, we need to pay them sometimes. But we have this really good relationship. They also come to yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah, that I must say that with Factor PR, we were able to find that sweet spot with really like a, a few good, really high tier influencers. And sometimes when the product is not really that right, you need to pay because of course, like money buys it all. But if it's a great product, for example, ASOS that have like such a great fashion, then it will wear it for free and no payment is required. So I think like if the product is right, like a fun product fashion wise, like an ASOS or like a cool sweater from like the latest designer, we can still place that for free. Yeah. If it is something like a toaster oven, for example, or um, something else. You need else. Sonia from the housewives for that. Oh my God. Well, don't laugh i just got off a business call with an oven brand and we're working with sonia from the housewives exactly <laughs> <laughs> and Teresa from the housewives of new jersey funny enough wow yeah no and of course like talking about like the influencers i mean it's also so different i remember like sometimes uh when i have like visitors over i can take them to my events and they were like oh my god in Belgium, when we go to an event, there's like Veronique the Cook or something. But then here, they're standing like next to Drew Barrymore. Or I did like three different events with Sarah Jessica Parker. You know, it, it's such a big difference when you're working here on events and you have a little bit of budget. Well, actually, a, a big budget to work with celebrities that they're immediately big celebrities you know but you pay for the celebrities to come yes. then to oh 100 percent, absolutely i mean that's already a difference we rarely pay influencers to influencers no, to come to the pay... event or celebrities no we wouldn't pay influencers but of course like the uh the, the celebrities yeah, the oh yeah. yes and it's big money and even the b and the c list honestly and how big i mean is celebrity endorsement then it seems like it's way bigger in the u.s than it's for us i think celebrities what we most do with them is Look, there's two differences. We do have a showroom in LA and LA is really specifically everything that's like celebrity dressing. And there it's all organic, like the size of like a Jennifer Aniston or like a Cardi B who has worn our clothes so often, comes in, pulls the clothes and we get credited for free. That's absolutely no pay for play. So Cardi B is wearing our clothes for free. We have a super good uh, relationship with Julia Roberts' niece. I'm like so much planking on her name now. Oh, Emma Roberts. Yes, 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 yes. So, for example, like she wears her clothes constantly. Uh, the Kardashians, for example, like Kourtney Kardashian, like she wears Drome so often and it's all, all, all for free. And they don't even hold on to the piece. It's like they return it afterwards through their stylists. But I do guess indeed the stylist come in to pick for them. Yes, the stylist comes in to pick for them. So that's one thing. We would hardly never ever pay for a celebrity to be featured on the Instagram with a product because we just think that that's silly. But when we do have like a launch event, so not just like an opening of a store, but like an event to introduce the latest, coolest travel service or something, we will very likely always carve out a budget to have a celebrity attendance there because that way you can also pitch it to like Vanity Fair and the Hollywood Reporter and you can have like an ETV and all of those different outlets who will actually cover your event and be like sorry Jessica Parker was just in New York attending the nowadays event 
that's something that we pay for, for sure. Even like a difference when it comes to LA and New York, because you have an agency in LA very much, I mean, it's the same agency, but an office there really yes. much focused on celebrity dressing, celebrity endorsements. Yes. But don't come stylists then to your showroom? They do, but in our showroom, I mean, like, of course, now we're all in the middle of a pandemic, but before the traffic in a showroom has gone down so much, they just search from lookbooks or we send them, if they say like, oh, we're working on silver and metallics, we'll have like assistants running around, but taking pictures and then they'll select our pieces and we'll all uh, ship it to hers, to Condé Nast and all of that. Like the smaller independent stylists, they will still come by. But if it's the bigger editorial houses, they just don't even bother coming by. But probably because you have many agencies there, of course, and many brands to go for. So Too many agencies and they don't have the time to do like a little small talk, you know, like being at the office and uh, imagine that they come all the way from financial district where they are to Chelsea and there's hardly like three pieces that they can pull. They're like, oh yeah, no, what a waste of time. So they first want to see what's there and if they like it, then they start calling in pieces. I mean, that's different indeed for us. I mean, for us, all the stylists come to our showroom and uh, even now during the pandemic, because they feel it's very safe and we have lots of space here in our showroom. It's not even on appointment. They just come and it always feels good. You know, there's one, two stylists at a time. They have all the space that they have and they can go, they can come for a full look. Mm-hmm. Where at some other agencies, they have to, you know, go to different agencies or different brands where they come to us. They can get their jeans, they can get their heels, their sneakers. Yeah. So we have kind of the full package. And I think it makes it very convenient for the stylist and also celebrities sometimes to come to us and just take a full look. For sure. I mean, Olympic PR is definitely also an exception. It's truly the best agency in the whole Benelux where you have like such a wide variety of brands. No, it really is like that. So I think like it's a must stop to go there. And I mean, I'm curious, what to you was the most radical change in fashion or PR in the past two decades? Well, I think something in which the U.S. has been leading the way is the representation on the catwalk, for sure. I feel if you still look at Paris, they're all like still as thin as a needle. It's all the same like white girls, androgynous like white guys without like as much representation. And I feel New York, of course, with its background and cultural history has been really making a path for diversity and variety. I think like that has been one of the biggest changes. And you can also see it in campaigns, in the way that people are reporting. For example, I even think like 10 years ago, like how many LGBTQ and inclusivity writers or diversity writers that you had at outlets? Not that much. It's something that is a new position that has been created and that people are really sticking to to just have that cultural representation. And how far does your advice go in there? Is it like, is it when it comes to cultural? I always think there needs to be a good representation. I also see people who are acting a little bit falsely there who are like, oh yeah, no, we now need to have like a one person of this race, one person of that. Yeah. We need, you know, so I really applaud this so much personally, but you need to be honest about it as well and don't see it as a gig, so to say, but do it for the right reasons yeah i get you but you do really you do sometimes i can imagine help your brands and advise them in that or in the topic or sure it's something you let the brands do yeah and very often like the brands are savvy enough and tapped in enough and when we receive their imagery bank we can see like okay like they're they're well versed enough 
to know that, that it's important to have this broad spectrum of all different kinds of customers. And what do you think is one of the difficult or more hard to reconcile in your industry? Is there something that, that one of the changes that happened or one thing in general that you think is difficult to cope with? The only examples I can think of is because they're all so recent and I think it's just everything that recently happened. Uh, for example, like now we're with the weird elections and everything is getting just so stuck to pierce through that news and through that news cycle. So we're sharing internally so many screenshots of editors that say like, okay, guys, read the room. This is not appropriate to reach out to me about this today when we're actually in such an uncertain times. When mm. COVID initially broke out and nobody knew what we were doing, like, are we all going to keep our jobs? Like, can we pull this off? Like, working from home, the people were also like, I just don't need to read about, like, your latest sleepwear collection. I just need some time to myself. So I think being able to, to kind of like, yeah, read the room a little bit, be sensitive about, like, what you pitch and when you pitch. But that's just something because it, it's so clearly in my head from the past six months. Yeah, I mean, there's have been so many changes. So I guess <laughs> if we talk in 20 years again, I think probably something we learned in the past 40 years, it is from this time because there's yes. so much changes going on. And indeed, like you say, they're all working at home and the uncertainties. And, mm -hmm. yeah. What I must say is like a very big difference between the US and Europe and maybe like one of the biggest differences is that I was, I mean, like I'm a little bit older than you, but I was just like you entering unlimited PR when I was like 23, but I thought I was immediately giving so much responsibility, which I really, really appreciate. I mean, like you and I were immediately like, let's let's go to London on a press trip with Converts. Let's go to Berlin with Hugo Boss. And let's go here and there. And now when I think back of it, I was like, oh my God, I was so young and I traveled so much while in the US. It's so, so systematic. You have like, you're an assistant when you're 23 and then you become like an account executive and then a senior account executive and then like a supervisor. So it's so, so structural. Whereas mm. in Europe, we were giving much more responsibility from the get-go. But then the good thing from the US is you can grow much faster. So there's a possibility to start as an account executive and end up as a director, which I feel is much slower in Europe. I get you, I get you. And how do you think your vision as like a PR consultant is different? You're not a PR consultant, you're a vice president now. Uh -huh. But is there something different from colleagues in your industry? Uh, how do you mean exactly? Well, maybe you have something that you always look very much forward to the future. Or maybe you, because you have this whole background in Europe that makes you stand out more from other competition or... Yeah, in the beginning, like you always overthink yourself. You're like, oh my God, like I still speak with an accent after almost nine years. Like, what are people going to say about that? Like, maybe I write a few mistakes in English. Or maybe I'm not super aware about like who everything and everybody is in the US, but the quirkiness really works for Americans. They're so forgiving. They think it's amazing that we speak both English and Dutch and French and Spanish. They admire you so much for that. And I think... To not be perfect is a good thing. I really believe so. Yes. And probably also to maybe own your mistakes. Yes, yes. Yes, and I think all the people who work for us currently at Factor PR, they're not the traditional 
PR bitches because honestly, we all know like what a classic stupid PR girl looks like sometimes. You know, like she will only eat a salad. She will speak like this. So for next season, we have this in the collection. It's like a blue sweater and it pairs with a red. Mm -hmm, sure, I can get you that. So we don't really have these people in our team. They're more like with our own sense of humor. They're very tapped into like the news that's going on because we need to do like lots of news checking. We're like a good cultural all-round team. We see that change now also happening actually in, in Holland or mm -hmm. Benelux. The, the news checking thing is more important. Our first, we had our own calendar. Now we really try to sort of like what's happening and how can we actually create stories for newspapers and maybe even in, evolve more brands into it. Not only our own brands, but more of Yeah. And is there like maybe one thing PR professionals can learn from the way US PR people work? I think it's so weird that I'm specifically speaking to a Dutch person because I think what Americans and Dutch people have so much in touch is that you are specific to the point and not like going around things as much. And I think mm -hmm. us as Belgians have that a little bit, you know, like not being as direct, like, oh, how would I explain it to the client, you know, like trying to be diplomatic. And I still am diplomatic. I think like the harsh approach is not up to me. But that is something that I've noticed, especially coming from Spain, where everybody was so hardworking. But at the same time, we spent hours and hours in meetings and like for what, you know? And I still have that with a few uh, European clients, maybe that we spent like too much time on calls. Whereas with American clients, we're like half an hour to the point and let's continue pitching after that, as it should be, actually. So more to the point and better time managers, maybe. Better time management, yeah. I think, I mean, you guys, have, maybe it's because of the size as well of your country and that you have all these different, mm -hmm. well, states to stay on the topic that you need to communicate and pitch to. I can imagine because of that, you need to be very much strict in your timing yep. and what you do. If I talk about this topic, do you also have different pitches for like more local news? If it's like, you know, local news for Texas or... We do, we do, but the lists are not that big there and a pickup is hardly anything. So for example, if a client will open up a store like in Texas, so to say, we do have our local list, but they never really work as well. I think the biggest regions to create specific news are of course like new york and washington so to say then there's like miami where there's like some established outlets as well la specifically and san francisco and chicago here and there i mean like they honestly yeah, they do the chicago tribune and all of that but those are really like your key regions interesting i mean for us i mean it's all one market sort of i mean it's all holland of course we if there's in specific cities we have been different with different media lists but it's so much focused on amsterdam for holland and then we do have a split sort of in belgium where it's like mm -hmm. the like court to french part and antwerp and then i'm, I'm curious there has been quite some changes i believe at factory pr when it comes to your portfolio because it started as well as more a fashion agency. Oh, right? it started 100% as a fashion agency. We were only, only fashion. And I've been there when I saw the switch happening. So we had this specific client that created men's tailored suits, but then their business model was very interesting. It was like the Warby Parker of suits. It was like a direct-to-consumer model, so with no middleman. And then they said, like, you know what? We're less interested in a GQ, but we want to have, like, a few placements in a Business Insider or in the Forbes. So that's how we all started to evolve this, this more business pitching. And then they came up with 
specific apps. So you could like scan your whole body and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, no, we want to be featured in a Wired and TechCrunch. And I was like, I have never, ever heard about, <laughs> about TechCrunch. So that's how I started to do my research about, okay, there's like a ton of these tech outlets. I guess we were like really lucky to also through like a personal relationship have Tinder as one of our clients to work on a specific branch of the business. So that has immediately put us on the map as one of the tech agencies. And from there on, we've been having so many successes. And every time when people read about this or that brand in the press, they were like, wait, which agency did this? And it was like factory PR and so many paths led back to us that we said like, we need our separate division. And that's how it came along. So I was a senior director of the tech division. So the tech division technically still sits under me, but we're growing exponentially beyond that. Even during a pandemic, <laughs> we're still growing. Yeah, but of course, I mean, everything is more online and, and tech focused now. And then one of your newest clients is OnlyFans, no? I know, it's OnlyFans. Well, OnlyFans is actually for a full year now. Uh, in the beginning, it was kind of hard to communicate about it because, of course, I wanted to step away a little bit of the perception that you might know OnlyFans for, maybe. It's a little bit more the sexual. <laughs> I know it from when I was in the in, in the US, actually in LA, and there lots of my gay friends were making jokes out of it that lots of porn stars actually, of course, started to be on OnlyFans and even more amateur guys. Yeah. And you can totally understand it because it's something for which you need to pay. It can be $5, it can be $10 or $20 per month. But of course, when you put like a paywall against it, there starts to be like a little bit more of a naughty content. But the initial idea of OnlyFans was always to be a platform for the real fans to follow their idol. And that's what we've been doing with the agency to a great success because now you have like so many hip-hop stars and celebrities on the platform, models, fashion influencers. Yeah. As I said, like a Cardi B, RuPaul's Drag Race. We just launched a feature in Vogue of Chia Coulee doing her thing. And Plastique, Tiara was also on it as yes. well. Yes, 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 yes. It's amazing like how much something can change around in such a little time. And did you guys for OnlyFans also sort of costed these people or how did that go everything is organic and we of course like have conversations with managers like hey you should really look into this platform because we think it could be very beneficial for clients that you represent as a matter of fact we had a famous person who was on who made like one million in one day wow which is crazy interesting that you go this direction again we see sort of similar changes happening here that we started also as a fashion agency then later added more cosmetics and beauty to our divisions. And then, mm -hmm. well, we don't necessarily do tech, but indeed more lifestyle, the project, furniture, interior. And we did actually do projects for apps. We worked for Badu for a project. Great. So yeah, I guess apparently same trends happening in the US and in Europe. Let me tell you, the agencies we haven't been doing and we're like only fashion agencies. Have you been speaking to them lately, how they're doing in Amsterdam? Well, I have in the US and they're not doing well. They have most of their staff furloughed and they are about to sell their showroom spaces. So those who have not been able to ride that wave soon enough of like reinventing yourself with more than just fashion, they're in difficult papers at this moment. Yeah, I guess you need to bet on more horses, right? In these times. And, yeah. Don't put your eggs just in the fashion basket. <laughs> 
<laughs> and where in the world do you feel the future of VR is going to? Oh, I just feel like people are getting more and more selective about what they want to write about, which is not a good note for us as a publicist. Makes it harder. It makes it harder, but then it just means that we need to be very creative with the clients and be like, can we tie this up to something newsworthy? Can you link this, I don't know, like with a charity? Can we have a relevant spokesperson or something? You really need to dig a little bit and see... Is there anybody on your investment board who would be a sounding name or something? Because like people are getting more and more specific about what they want to write, which, yeah. which makes it harder, but I guess, again, challenging <laughs> in our job. It makes our job interesting. It makes our job interesting. Yeah. I think sometimes email blasts, which are very good collection for a fashion brand, will still continue to work. But indeed, finding these news angles, doing the news checking, Making it very specific and special for the journalist, I think that's, yeah. yeah, make it more relevant for them. If we take a look back, I mean, now you work less in the fashion, but I think you do have a great eye for it. So do you predict... Oh, thank you. <laughs> do you predict something for the future for the fashion industry? Kind of like fashion week. Okay, so the last fashion week that I was a part of was now in February. It's going to be like a year ago. It was already on its way down so much so. Like all, all the big designers have left. Like who is left over? Not that many mm -hmm. people. So I feel if designers start to do that more and more and start to define their own timelines, like no longer in February, but let me do it in April, for example, to catch more of the media attention then I feel the concept of like a fashion week will still exist and will still be relevant for bloggers to be seen and like the street style and all of that. But I think it will start to crumble and maybe get back to the essence of what fashion really was with only the top tier editors and maybe like a few top tier bloggers as well, because we can't think them away. Like they're part of the system now. As much as people hate bloggers, I'm like, no, they're part of the system and they're here to stay. Yeah, I need to respect them and be welcome for them. Yep. Less fashion week, you say, and more online and influence will be part of it. A hundred percent. But still, events, events, I do think that events will become every time more and more a crucial part of brands' marketing strategies. I think events are sometimes the new PR to create like this experimental thing for both press and then afterwards like opening it up for customers you have like so much viral feedback from it of people like posting and reposting. So I think events continue to be a crucial thing, but we first need to get out of this pandemic because there's not yeah. that much space to do events right now. I think there's going to be, as soon as it's over, it's going to be like so festive, <laughs> like really like, Oh, uh, I hope the, so. The craziest events. And the most... I hope so. I am looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. One topic I didn't really tap into is sustainability, which I think is also very much a, a big trend. Is that in the US the same? We see it Oh, 100%. In, in how? I mean, is it for us, almost every brand that we work for has a sustainable angle. Can you tell me a bit about that? Do you see any trends there or how do you see that for the future? A lot of brands have signed this kind of act that also like Gucci started to be like sustainable or carbon free by the year, what is it, 2025? That's something that more and more brands get behind. They're also working with recycled packaging and all of that. Thinking about original ways for like shopping bags, working together with institutions to minimize like shipping, have that more concentrated in different packages per week and all of that. I, I really think it's going to be the big trend for the future and for the right reason. 
I think this yeah, is something that more and more people should get behind. All for our planet. We need to be very happy with it at the moment, right? We cannot really enjoy it as much. No, that's true. If Leo says so, that we should care more about the planet, I follow Leo and I'd say, yes, Leo, you're very right. You're very right. <laughs> For the last part, and go a bit more more personal, actually, because how do you hope to be remembered in 20 years from now? <gasps> Deals! What kind of a questions are you asking me? How do I hope to be remembered? I kind of like the way I'm, I, I am remembered now that I hope I'm being remembered. I hope to have the same like energy level and a little bit of like the same quirkiness. I'm not a naive person, but just like also not overly serious. I remember like my husband heard me so much like three years ago that I said something, he overheard me on a call and he said to me like, you've become such a New York bitch. And I was like, oh my God, Ramon, like that's the worst thing you can tell me. I was just being stern no. with the team that this was not okay. Like it's not that I'm a New York bitch. Like we're also getting older. There's more years of, of experience that we simply have, and you're having more responsibilities. So if a team fucks up, then you have to explain that to the client. So you also need to tell them. And when he said mm -hmm. that to me, I was like, oh my God, no. And then afterwards he said like, no, you're, I'm still so much in love with you for the reason I initially fell in love for. And that's because of your humor and you're always in a good mood. So like, oh, thank you. And your great legs, he said. That's just a joke. <laughs> so in 20 years, you want to be remembered as being still the same energetic professional as you are yes thank you you summarized that very well for me and then if you go back to your 20 year old self because 20 is still the, the, the theme of today is there any advice you could give when you were 20 yourself what would it be that's almost 20 years like uh, apart from a year like almost 20 years ago for my for my it feels like yesterday and i don't think i have changed as much, I would maybe say stress a little bit less about things that I used to stress about because if you look in hindsight, they were not worth to stress about. But it's something that I'm still learning today. Like I still get very uncomfortable in situations when an editor is about to break your embargo and you're like, oh my God, fuck, like what am I going to do with that mm -hmm. situation? You know, it's PR. There's not like one key solution for, for everything. Like sometimes... I really wish we did like rocket science, although that is complicated. Like probably there's always like a correct formula that you can apply, except that for us, you can be dealing with a shitty journalist. Everybody has so many different characters. You can be dealing with an unreasonable client who cannot see that this is not your fault, but the editor's fault. Anyhow, it's a hell of a job, but I love it at the same time. So yeah, the things I would be saying to my 20 year younger self <laughs> is the things that I maybe want to say the day to myself again although i am able to put things more into perspective that's for sure but less stress less stress is less good for trends. everyone less especially trends. these days <laughs> there's enough stress already we want to actually finish this conversation with some rapid fire questions are you ready for them oh sure are you a morning person or a night owl a night owl a night owl yeah oh, like 100% <laughs> <laughs> your 20s or your 30s 30s oh i'm currently in my 30s but i also oh gosh no i love both i really love both late 20s and all of my 30s if you would have asked me the same question for the i would probably say before march i would have said it was my 30s but oh. then the pandemic happened and now i say it's the 20s for sure ah. oh because i'm only two years in the 30s so okay okay i say late 20s and the rest of my 30s 
Four more rapid fire questions. What's your favorite season? Oh, fall, autumn, in New York. Indian summer, right? Indian summer. If you could travel back in time, what period would you go to? The 90s. <laughs> I already lived the 90s, but I would do it again. <laughs> and I would dress way cooler. <laughs> and I love the music. No, the 90s when I was actually able to go to clubs. I still regret that I was like just a little bit too young to go to clubs. So I would dance with my sister in the living room and I know like a rapid question is now becoming a long answer but that's what I'm but that's what I'm missing I would be dancing in the club and not just on the radio what is love baby don't hurt me I would have the best moves of the club cocktail or cava cava prosecco preferably same but Italian and real housewives or the Kardashians real housewives I actually go on my Instagram. Sonia Morgan follows me. Oh my God, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Instagram or TikTok? Instagram. That was it. <gasps> This was so fun. And right in time before my 4 p.m. call. Thank you so much. Thank you for your energy, your information. I think we learned quite a lot from you today. What the differences are between Europe and the US of A, but also lots of similarities. I think the good positive thing is that we can learn a lot from each other still and we should keep continue doing that. So thank you so much. Hope to see you very, very soon. Yes, thank you guys. And I also specifically want to thank a little bit of PR because you guys have really shaped me into the publicist that I am today. I sometimes think I would not be where I am today for everything that I learned back then 15 years ago. So thank you, a little bit of PR. I will give you a message to, I'm sure that they listen today, Wendy yes. and Lilian. <laughs> Super! Oh my gosh! Thank you!